much, the Phantom of Oakland Woods. That's pretty good. First Samuel 17. Thank you for filling in, Kathy. Today we finish up where we've been for the last five weeks, and we actually get to the fight. We actually join the battle, and we actually see. But we've spent four weeks building up to this because the preparation for the fight is really going to determine whether or not you win. I have to confess, this week something happened, and I, quite, I felt, quite frankly, very foolish. As I mentioned last week in great detail, my wife and uh, my daughter uh, Isabel and Reagan uh, went down to Texas for Thanksgiving, leaving me with three three-year-olds under three to take care of, and our foster kids. And I kind of got indwelled and engrossed in that world of taking care of them, and I didn't watch any news events or anything. So we live in downtown Ortonville, and sitting there about 4.30, is about ready to come in for Sunday night service. I look out my window, and I see Channel 2 go by, and then I see Channel 4 go by. And I kind of peek my head out, and there's all these people, and I'm like, what in the world is going on? Nate Odinga, who also lives in Ortonville, and I texted him real quick, what's going on here? What happened again? And he begins to tell me of the officer that was killed on Thanksgiving morning. And I have to admit, I felt so foolish. Here, right in the middle, not just less than a block from where I live, the memorial was taking place. Not far from my home did this officer, who, hearing more about him, what a great young man, a great man he was, and father and husband. And I thought his wife gave a great testimony and great uh, comments on the news. And yet all this was going on, and a family was in the midst of chaos, and I was oblivious to it. And you know what? I even had good reason, I guess. I'm, I'm taking care of these three little ones. I'm watching nothing but cartoons on Netflix. By the way, there is a limit to how many times you can watch scene. It's 20. But I had a good excuse, I felt, and here all of this was going on right next to my house, right next to my community, right involved in it, and I was completely oblivious. Today as we start our thought, our battle thought is this. We must be awakened to the battle. We must be awakened to the battle. You see, even if our excuses are good excuses, even if we have a good excuse, well, I'm taking care of these little ones, or I'm taking care of a father, or I'm taking care of a, a grandmother, I'm doing all these other things. This is what is involved in my life. And yes, those are good things. Please keep taking care of people that you are. I am not suggesting at any point that you stop taking care of your family. But at some point, we have to be awakened to the issues and the struggles and the reason God has left us on here, and we have to fight God's fights. Let me remind you of the three things that are God's fights. I guess we could add a few, but I think these are three basic ones. People being saved. That is God's fight. I'm here to tell you today that God wants your grandson to accept Christ. The Word of God says it's not God's will that anybody should perish. God wants your daughter to be a believer in Jesus Christ. God wants the person that you're praying about, he wants them to get saved. It is God's will that they come to know them. It is not God's will that anyone should perish. That is a fight we need to be involved in. We need to be involved in protecting kids. Jesus was really big about this. Repeatedly he says, listen, it's not if you offend a deacon or a pastor or some political person. No, don't be worried about that. Be worried about offending a child and being a stumbling block in that child's faith. 
That's the reason you should tie a noose around your neck and tie it to a rock. You'd be better off throwing yourself in a river if you do that. We need to protect and be part of it. Listen, it is the church's responsibility that should be screaming, screaming to everyone who will listen, the things that are going on in this world. As countries like England and Europe try to lower the age of consent to 13, as TV shows from everything from Nickelodeon to this culture trying to sexualize children, we need to be screaming from the hilltops, this is wrong and this must be stopped. And we also, I'm going to talk about this tonight, church, we need to be doing everything we can to reach boys and girls with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the pain of sin. We need to be warning people constantly about the pain of sin, about everything that comes with it. You see, there are other things that we pray about. There are other things, and you're involved in them, and some of them are good things. You say, Pastor, my mom's not feeling well. Should I not pray about that? No, please keep praying. Pastor, there's debt in our family, and we can't do any. We can't even tithe. We can't give to that missions. We would love to, but there's debt in our family. Should I not pray about it? No, keep praying about this. Let me say this. Things that are not on that list, this is what you do. This is you pray, and when you pray, it is the grace of God he steps in. Amen? You ask for God's grace when you pray. Sometimes people we care about leave us, and they God, I, when we get to heaven, we'll find out why God chose to do these things. But when you pray for God to heal somebody, you understand this. God never said he has to heal everybody. But when you pray, you pray, God, by your grace, Lord, your grace, Father, will you intervene and heal this person? And I'd like to suggest my own personal opinion, feel free to disagree, that when you pray for these issues, that you include one of these three things. God, if you will save this person's life, Lord, use them to point people to Jesus. God, if you will save this person, if you will heal my grandson from heroin addiction, Lord, Lord, use this as he can be an example to point people to the pain of sin. God, if you will take care of my little one, if you will allow us to do this, Lord, help us to raise up a child who will serve you. I would like to suggest to you those things that are not on this list. Pray for God's grace, but pray that God would use you and use that person to help point to God's fights. See, we've turned the story of David and Goliath into things it was never meant to be. Goliath is not your credit card debt. Goliath is not you trying to deal with your mother-in-law. That is, We're over-spiritualizing it. But there are fights that God wants to be involved in, and we need to be on God's side. Amen? Today we start the fight, and today we will see that if you're on God's side, you will win. How to know you will win the battle. I'm going to give you three things. Let me start in verse 31. Number one, how to know you'll win the battle if you're taking notes. Have previous victories given by God. Look at verse 31. David and Goliath, I, we've been building up and building up. Everyone pretty much knows the story, so we're going to keep going. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul. And he sent him. And David said unto Saul, Let no man's heart fall because of him, the giant that was out there cursing God in Israel. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight him, for thou art but a youth. What is Saul's attack on him? You're just a kid. You can't do anything. The New Testament, Paul will say, Let no one despise your youth. Tonight, and when I message, one of my pet peeves is that we say that the children are the, the, the church of the future. That is a lie. The children are the church today. Our youth are the church today, and we need to think of them that way. Amen? He continues and says, and he, a man of war from his youth. Let me restate this. 
Here's Saul. Saul is a man of the flesh. He is a carnal, backslidden, whatever terminology you would like to use. And Saul says, you can't win. But David is a man of God. David is a spiritual man. David is a man after God's own heart. He is a man of the spirit. And David says, I can win. If you're taking notes today, remind you of this. Your past will determine how you view your future. See, some of you right now, if I could jump into a psychological part, some things that were done to you when you were younger, uh, your, your previous marriage maybe, some things that were said to you by your mom when you were 13, those things have stayed with you, and they have directed so much of your future. This is probably one of the reasons why you don't join a church, because you, you don't want to make a commitment. You don't want to get close because you've been burned by people in the past, and so you kind of push back on that. Isn't it amazing that young people, kids, are probably the most optimistic? And maybe your reaction is, well, yeah, because they haven't been beaten down by the world, right? And that reaction is because you're old. Old people get bitter, don't they? You rarely see a young person who's bitter. Because after you get older, right? Not you people, much older people. Those old, old people, none of you. You want to know if you're old? If you've gotten an ARP card, you're old. But anyway. But as you get older, you get burned by the past. You see failed opportunities. And sometimes it's because you've even failed yourself. Now, sometimes when you're young, you can be too optimistic. I like this little story. A little boy wasn't getting good marks in school. And one day he surprised his teacher with an announcement. He tapped on her shoulder and said, I don't want to scare you, but my daddy says if I don't start getting better grades somebody's getting a spanking. <laughs> Sometimes young people are a little too optimistic. But you see, David has had victories in the past. We won't read them, but verses 34 through 36, he explains to Saul, you know, when I was a shepherd boy, I killed a lion and a bear. And these weren't the Detroit lions. They were real lions. Anyway, I killed a lion and a bear. If you've never seen God work in your past, you won't expect him to work in the future. You say, Pastor, I don't know about praying about all these different things. You know why your, your reaction is that? Because you've never seen God do something in your life before. You've never seen him help you heal from maybe an addiction. You've never seen him convict you of a sin. You've never seen him bring a relationship that was alienated and brought back. You have never, listen, you say, well, I don't know if God could do any of this. You listen. There's somebody in this room right now that you need to forgive. Say, so how do I know? Your wife emailed me. No, because you're a human being with a pulse. and a, There's somebody you need to forgive. And you know how you can forgive them? You forgive them through the power of the Holy Spirit. I could never forgive. No, if you've never seen God do something as simple as allow you to forgive someone, you will never expect him to do something in the future. Listen, I'm going to tell the 11 o'clock service this. Listen, if you can't serve Jesus at 16, you won't serve him at 66. Isn't that right? Oh, it's just so difficult now. But same thing for you today. If you're saying, well, I can't trust God today, but in the future, I'll trust God. If you can't trust him today, you probably won't trust him in the future. Watch this confidence. The confidence that only past victories can bring. Back to verse 37. And David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear, 
He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. I love that type of, maybe you might think it's arrogance, but that's confidence. The difference between arrogance and confidence is confidence means you've done it in the past. And Saul said unto David, all right, go. Go and the Lord be with you. I don't know if that's how he said it, but that's how I think he did. Listen, the very first victory you need to have, the very first spiritual victory is coming to know Christ as your personal Savior. Today, before you have anything else you're concerned about, any other issue, even before your health, even before someone you care about's health, the number one thing you need to know is this. You need to be born again. Jesus said that himself in John chapter 3. You were born a sinner, separated from God. You had a debt you could not pay. And that's why, that's why even though we have our Christmas decorations up, we have left that cross in this auditorium. Because God sent Jesus to die on a cruel Roman cross in your place. And if you in childlike faith will just receive what Christ did on the cross as the payment for your sin, you, sir, you, ma'am, can finally be forgiven. You can finally be part of the family of God. You can know you're going to heaven. The number one victory you must have, it's more important than anything. Even giving, listen, even taking the preacher out to lunch, which I really enjoy. The number one thing you have to know today, the victory, do you know Jesus as your personal Savior today? Amen? Number two, to know you'll have the victory, use the weapons God gave. Um, maybe the reason your, your husband has never accepted Christ is because instead of using God's weapon, you're nagging him. Maybe your grandson isn't getting saved because instead of using God's weapons, right, you're trying to manipulate the situation and making sure that this happens. What are God's weapons? Well, Saul's a man of flesh, so he thinks fleshly. And watch the weapons he gives David. Verse 38, and Saul armed David with his armor. Whose armor was it? Saul's armor. And he put on a helmet of brass upon his head and also armed him with a coat of mail. you got to picture young David being draped with these things. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he aside to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these. I have not proved them. And David put them up. I'd like to point a few things out about David's opposition. David did not say, I'm not proven, did he? David had confidence in himself because David saw God do something in the past. What was David not afraid of? What was David did not want to use? It was the weapons that were not proven. So David goes and gets away shepherd's boy's weapons. And we're going to see these weapons he gets. And I would like to consider this. If you read Psalm 22, you see the so much comparison between David and Goliath. But I would like to suggest, as you read the 23rd Psalm, that when David wrote this, I think the events of this day were in his mind. As we go through this, I'm going to compare and contrast Psalms 23. Look at verse 40. What's the first weapon? And he took his staff in his hand. 23rd Psalm, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Shepherds would use their rod to correct a sheep, pull that sheep back, hit that sheep over the head, but they would also use that rod to guide a sheep to safety. Well, may I suggest you today that the rod represents God's word. You need to have an active part of God's word in your life. This is God's manual for your life. It's your instructions. How many problems have we stepped in in our world, in our life, if we had just followed God's principles, we would have avoided? Second weapon of a shepherd boy, look at verse 40. And choose him five uh, smooth stones out of the brook. How does David know to get stones out of a brook? 
well, where else would you water sheep? In Psalm 23, verse 2, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Next, the still waters. Uh, Did I skip that? No, okay, the still waters. (laughs) The still waters represent peace. Thank you. It's the peace that only God could give. Why did David pick up five? Why does he pick up five stones? Well, maybe he thought he would miss. Does that really sound like the confident David building up to this? We find out, if you'd like to put notes in your Bible, next to verse 40. 2 Samuel chapter 21, verses 18-22. 2 Samuel 21, 18-22 tells us that Goliath had not one, not two, not three, but four brothers. He picks up five and... Again, maybe I could be wrong. David might go, no, man, that's not what I was thinking at all. I just needed an extra because I might miss. I don't think that's what he's thinking. I think David is so confident. He is down there and he's going, this is Goliath. This is his brother. This is his brother. This is his brother. This is his brother. And when he goes into that battle, he is not thinking, I'm killing Goliath. No, Goliath, I'm killing you. And then once I'm done with you, I'm going after all your brothers. Now, we might get to heaven and David's like, no way, but... I love David. I've walked with him for so many years. I think David was doing that. Why? Because when I was young, I was just that cocky and foolish to do that too. Here's the third weapon of a shepherd boy. And put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a script. The 23rd Psalm says this, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. The shepherd's bag represents the blessings of God. And the fourth weapon of a shepherd boy in verse 40. And his sling was in his hand. Um, This is not the the sling of Dennis the Menace and what we normally think of. No, it was basically a piece of string with a pouch on the end and they would wind it up. And it was something that you would have to have experience with. You would not just pick up this sling and be able to do it and accurately shoot and do it. David practiced this sling for years and he could probably hit a rock. As you're sitting out there with the shepherd boy... Listen, I'm a grown man, and sometimes I have a BB gun at home, and every now and then I would like to go out my back window and just kind of take a shot at one of those squirrels in the bird feeder, right? I'm a grown man, and I have that temptation. You can't tell me as a boy out there in the field, David didn't take that sling just sitting there periodically go set up a can, set up a bottle. Oh, look, there's a rabbit. Let's see what happens. David practiced and practiced and practiced with this sling. In Psalms 23, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Go back, Greg, please. The sling represents the reliability of God, our faith. These were the four weapons that David took into battle. God's word, peace, the blessings that only God can bring, and the reliability of God, our faith in God. I'd like to suggest to you today, there are many other weapons we take also, but in your fight and fighting God's battles and fighting the fights that God would have you to fight, Let's take these weapons, God's word, the peace that only Jesus can bring. You don't know how many times I've done funerals for people in tragic situations. And the people there that don't know Jesus as their personal savior, they have come up to me at times. I have had this happen more times than I can imagine and said, how is it that his wife, how is it that her, her husband, how is it that their kids, I mean, we're broken up. Why are they so calm? And I think, yeah, I know why they're calm. 
because they know where they're at. And they know that God is in control. And they know the peace that only God can bring. In a crazy, chaotic world, our greatest weapon is its not petitions against City Hall. It's not even the ballot box. It's not a political. It's a social justice. Our greatest weapon is showing people the peace that only Jesus can bring. The blessings of God. And by the way, if you think the blessings of God are financial, you have bought and suckered into some sort of con job that some preachers told you. The blessings of God are relationships. The blessings of God are people you love. Don't believe me? Let someone you care get hurt. You could care less what your bank account is. You would give everything for that person to be whole and be healed. Amen? And that sling is the reliability of God. The faith that I know. So David, fully loaded, says this at the end of verse 40. And he drew near to the Philistine. A couple weeks ago, I I showed you what this probably looked like. And I'm going to do it again. Goliath is basically nine foot two inches. Some speculate taller, some say a little bit shorter. But in the end, whoops. Don't laugh at that. We'll edit that out. Now, you remember before I put Jim Merrill's picture up there, one of our deacons. and He thought it was hilarious, but his wife didn't. So she's the only one that thinks he's good looking. But anyways. That's nine foot two inches. David sees that and he doesn't back off. David sees that obstacle and he draws near. And please do not make the classic mistake of incorporating this into something. And I've seen so many preachers. Your Goliath, your Goliath. But listen, I don't want to fight my Goliath. I want to fight God's Goliath. Abraham Lincoln in the Civil War was asked, you know, is God on our side or the South? He says, that doesn't matter. Listen, it's, we need to be on God's side. Today, these Goliaths are your kids being saved. So, Pastor, that's just overwhelming. I could never. You are correct, sir. It is overwhelming that your daughter would come to know Jesus. But when you're on God's side, anything is possible. Again, you've probably heard a preacher say this. You need to remember It's not the little shepherd boy up against a great big giant. It's the God of the universe behind him up against a little tiny giant who dared defy him. If you know Jesus, you know the God who spoke this universe into existence. Back here. I want you to see the type of person he's fighting here. Verse 41. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David. And the man that bare his shield went before him. If he's so confident, why does Goliath have this other guy with him? Verse 42, and the Philistine looked about and he saw David. He was in disdain, or other translations said belittled him. For he was but a youth. And a, Do you see that, church, Okowitz? Do you see that? People who are not walking with God think young people and teenagers and kids and college people aren't of any value. For he was but a youth and ruddy. That term ruddy is debatable. Some will say it's because David had red hair. Others will say it's his complexion. He had kind of a red tan because he was out in the field. It's a debatable about what he is. But what it does say in verse 42, and a fairer countenance. Goliath was arrogant. Verse 43, and the Philistines said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. That staff is his rod. Goliath is disrespectful. Notice the first thing Goliath attacks him for. The rod, and the rod represents the correction, the guidance of the word of God. 
Verse 44, and the Philistines said unto David, come to me and I will give thy flesh into the fowls of the air. Remember Psalm 22 when David is basically kind of quoting him here? And to the beast of the field, Goliath is overconfident. That is our enemy, arrogant, disrespectful, overconfident. Let me remind you that we in our battle are not in a physical battle. There is no person, no political organization, no country that we are at war with. Our battle is a spiritual battle. And our battle is with the prince of darkness. You say, Pastor, do you believe in the devil? Do you believe in Satan? Well, Jesus believed in the devil. Jesus believed in Satan. Jesus believed in demons. And if it's okay for Jesus, it's okay for me. Yes, I believe in demons. I was alive on 9-11. I've seen horrific things. I could tell you stories and everything. But those don't compare to the fact that Jesus said there was a Satan. Jesus said we are in a spiritual war. This Goliath is not physical. This Goliath is a spiritual battle. That's the enemy. Arrogant, disrespectful, overconfident. Great definition of Satan, isn't it? And number three, to know we will win the battle, number three, be on the right side. God's. These next few verses in verse 45 through 47, we'll see the multiple times, six times, David will say either Lord or God. Watch how confident a man after God's own heart, a man who is walking in the spirit, responds to the enemy. Then said David to the Philistine, thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of the host the God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast defiled. This day the Lord delivered thee unto thy mine hand, and I will smite thee. And I love this, I love this phrase. And take thine head from thee, and I will give thy carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and the wild beast of the earth. He's turning what Goliath said on him, that in all the earth may know there is a, number four, God in Israel. And all the assembly shall know that the, there it is, number five, Lord saveth not with sword and spirit. David is saying this right now. This is not a physical battle. Some of you are thinking, oh, pastor, I think you got off here. What is David saying? David is saying God is not going to save with a sword and a spirit. That's not what he's doing. Listen, God is not going to save you because of your credit card. God is not going to save you because of your bank accounts or your 401k or the fact that, you know, you take an aspirin every day and you run a mile and you're in good shape. God is not going to save you that way. You are not in a physical fight. You are in a spiritual war, and you need to realize that today. I know I got a little excited there. And last part, for the battle is Oakland Woods. For the battle is the state of Michigan. For the battle is the Southern Baptist. For the battle is a denomination. For the battle is a political party. No, it says here our six-time for the battle is the Lord's, and he, he will give you into our hands. Six times David mentions God will take care of you, Goliath. Six times. If you're in a fight, make sure you're on God's side because you will win. And what happens? Well, I guess we could just say we know what happens, but the little boy in me just loves the gore. Loves the guts. Verse 48, let's read it. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew to meet David, that David hastened, look at that, David doesn't back down, and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Down in the valley, both sides are wondering what's going to happen, and David sprints towards the giant. 
And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and his slang and smote the giant in his forehead. History tells us that the Philistines at this time, their armor, especially that covered their head, was basically two pieces that would be sort of welded together. And there in his forehead would be an opening, a very small opening, the size of a rock you would get from a brook, that the stone sunk into his forehead. And this is important, that he fell forward. He fell forward upon his face to the earth. It's important that you realize that because it was not the force that David hit. He didn't hit him with a rocket. It wasn't the force that blew Goliath back. It was a perfect location in a perfect spot. You say it was a one in a million chance. No, God doesn't operate on one in a million chance. There are no coincidences. There is no luck with God. God has a plan. God has details, and he works all these things out. And God had that opening, and God directed that rock, and it hit that giant perfectly, and the giant fell face forward. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. This is what I love. Therefore David ran and stood up with the Philistine. This is a huge man. He's knocked over. David could never pick up his sword about what he's going to do. He's going to cut his head off. That's so cool. You need to picture David on top of this nine foot two man, one foot on his face. That's like another foot on his chest. And he's taking this monster sword that he could never do. And he's basically going to French Revolution guillotine him. That, that bothers me, Pastor. Well, you're not a little boy then. I thought it was amazing. This was My mom would never let me watch this, but I got to read it. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head there, therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they ran. They fled. Verse 51 through 52, this gets even better when you realize it. David is carrying around Goliath's head. I have taught this to young boys when I was younger, and I would always get like a beach ball or a basketball, and I'd put like a face on it like, uh, and I'd get some string and stuff to kind of represent a whole bunch of guts and gore. And little boys just loved it. They were like, yes. And I said, David's running around with his head. Maybe he's holding it up going, who wants some of this? Who wants some more? You know, like a wrestler and stuff. I don't know how it happened exactly, but David picks up this hand and he runs around with it. And I think that he's holding up his head. There's probably that stone still stuck in his forehead. And Goliath probably had that still, that same stupid look on his face just before he died thinking, I'm being killed by a little boy, right? But in the end, the blood, the guts, whether you like it or not, in the end, God always wins. Be on God's side. The only way to get on God's side is to know Christ as your personal Savior. No matter what happens, no matter what he decides to do, be on God's side. During the earthquake some years ago, the inhabitants of a small village were gen generally very much alarmed. But there were at the same time surprised at the calmness and apparent joy of an old woman they all knew. At length, one of them addressed the old woman and said, Mother, are you not afraid? Uh, no, said the woman. I rejoice to know that I have a God who can shake the whole world. If you know Jesus today, you have a God who can shake the world. The problem 
we keep fighting fights that aren't God's fights. We keep drawing God into things that God is not. I saw people referencing Jesus in the recent tax bill that's going through. I don't think Jesus is interested in the American tax plan. I hate to bust your bubble, whether you're for it or against it. But you know what Jesus is interested in? We got a bus that leaves here today, and they're going to pick up little boys and girls and bring them to church. Picks them up on Wednesday nights and brings them here. Jesus is interested in those little boys and girls down there right now listening to stories, and they're going to sing songs. He wants kids to be saved. Jesus is interested in your husband finally getting over his addiction. Jesus is interested in people you know being warned about how difficult and painful the world. Sir, ma'am, everything in the world is death, destruction, and disease. That's all the world has to offer you. Jesus is interested in those things. And yes, he steps in by the grace of God. And by the way, isn't grace amazing? He will step in by the grace of God and sometimes fight our fights and take care of things for us. But like Job says, though he slay me, I will still serve him. Do you know Christ today? Are you fighting God's battles or are you fighting your own? Would you bow your head and close your eyes for me? Nobody looking around, just you, 